Today on Blue 58, Aaron Rodgers only needed about 37 seconds to break the 49ers' hearts, but it took a complete game before that to make the final field goal even a possibility. Let's break down every bit of the Packers' dramatic Sunday night football win. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. And I'm happy to be back for another episode. What a week it's been. Uh, We left you with the Packers-Lions preview. You were on your own after the Packers' Monday Night Football win over the Lions because we were in the hospital uh, dealing with the the birth of a newborn. And uh, boy, that first day home Thursday... I was a little bit more involved than uh, than I anticipated. Of course, I'm sure a lot of people who have become second-time parents are rolling their eyes at that, but that's how it was. So just kind of went into this game on your own. Now here we are, and uh, it is 1.40 a.m. as I hit record here, and after being up with a newborn a whole bunch this week, there's really nowhere I'd rather be than here talking to you, talking some football, and talking about a dramatic Packers win. Near-run thing there for a little bit. It looked like the Packers might come up a little bit disappointed after a very strong start. But in the end, it's like the Packers beat the 49ers twice. They built that initial lead, played well, played within themselves. They held tight through that comeback and wisely, I guess, allowed the 49ers to get into the end zone. I don't know if that was entirely intentional, but they did with 37 seconds left, and then they come down on the game-winning drive. Aaron Rodgers does what he does and sets the Packers up for a game-winning kick. You don't need me to describe it. Let's listen to Wayne Larravee on the Packers Radio Network. Hunter Bradley on the snap. Here it is. Place been made. Kick to the upright. And it is good! It is good! It is good! Mason Crosby has done it again! 51-yard walk-off field goal to win it for the Packers. Final score, Green Bay 30, San Francisco 28. A dagger and late-night dagger in the Bay Area. Mason Crosby delivers. Long clip there, but I'm sure nobody minds hearing that. Again, Wayne Larravee, one of the best and one of the reasons that you're actually hearing this podcast, but that's a story for a different day. The facts of the story are pretty clear. The Packers came back and won this very late in the game. 37 seconds left when the 49ers uh, kick off, give the back the, pa- the Packers the, the ball back on their own 25, 37 seconds to go. Most of the time you think that's going to be, that's going to be it. And you'd be justified if you're the 49ers, even knowing what Aaron Rodgers can do and showed himself to be capable of doing in this game. You could feel pretty confident there because that's not a lot of time and they've got a long way to go with no timeouts. But the Packers go down and win. So how did they win? Ultimately, looking at the totality of this game, I think the Packers won today by being themselves. Okay, who are the Packers in 2021, though? They are offense. The game had to be won by the Packers' offense. They got to score no matter what, as well as the Packers' defense played today, and they did play pretty well. Against a team like the 49ers, you're going to have to score a lot because what Kyle Shanahan does is figure out how to score points no matter who's running the show for him on offense. It's been true the entirety of his time in San Francisco. No matter who his quarterback is, he will figure out a way to get stuff done on offense. And even though Jimmy Garoppolo started slow in this one, 
the 49ers eventually got things going, and they scored 28 points. So the Packers were going to need to score as well. And thankfully, the Packers' identity in large part is built around their offense. And the Packers, even with a suspect offensive line, were, managed, were, were able to score 30 points. The Packers are Aaron Rodgers. Everyone knows the Packers are going to go as far as Aaron Rodgers can take them. That's not an indictment of the Packers so much as a reality of what it is to be an NFL team in 2021. For It's been that way for a while now. If you don't have an elite quarterback playing at an elite level, you don't have a chance at winning a Super Bowl. The Buccaneers, oddly, are kind of an exception to the rule as much as as much as Tom Brady gets credit for their Super Bowl run last year, their playoff push was basically in spite of Brady. Had Drew Brees been anything more than just a slightly warm body, the Saints probably would have won that game. Had Washington had an actual NFL quarterback to put out there, they might have beat the Buccaneers. And had just a couple plays gone slightly differently, the Packers would have beat them and should have beat them. Brady was not great in the playoffs, but the Buccaneers go on and win the Super Bowl. That is the exception. We talked about this towards the end of last season. To be a real Super Bowl contender, to be a playoff team, you've got to have a quarterback playing at a Pro Bowl level. To be a Super Bowl team, you've got to have a guy who's playing at close to an MVP level. Three of the four teams in the championship round last year had a guy who was at MVP level, and Brady gets in that conversation just because of who he is and what he's done in his career. The Packers in 2021 are Aaron Rodgers. And tonight he showed why that's a good bet. The Packers, to go along with that, are Devontae Adams. He is Rodgers' primary weapon in the passing game, and often it feels like he's their only weapon. Tonight he was a superstar. 12 catches, 132 yards, and a touchdown on 18 targets. He was the only player on the team with more than four targets tonight. That's saying something. When you are that good that you're getting that many targets despite the defense knowing what's coming and you're still producing to that level how are you anything but a superstar Devontae Adams is as good a receiver as there is in the NFL and he showed why tonight kind of along those same lines the Packers are also Aaron Jones in the right situations he did not have a big statistical game he was not the focus of the Packers offense but still 18 carries, 82 yards, a touchdown, two catches, 14 yards, 96 yards overall on 20 touches, and a touchdown. That's not big-time offense, but you're also not making the team worse. Almost five yards a touch, that's pretty good against a pretty solid 49ers offense, 49ers defense, rather. The Packers are enough defense to keep the Packers' offense from having to score literally every time they touch the ball. Talked about this just a couple seconds ago. This is defense in the 2021 NFL. The days of holding somebody to single-digit points week in and week out, if that was ever a thing, are long gone. You've got to hold them to just enough. And the Packers mostly did that on defense. A couple hiccups, sure. A couple things you'd like to have back, but I think there are more personnel issues in this game than than just talent or decision. I don't think there's anything I can really complain about. The Packers, as a bottom line, won because they were true to themselves. And as a result, they might have the signature win of the Matt LaFleur era, going on the road against a good team, albeit early in the season, 
in coming away with a win. Let's talk about three good things to come out of this game. We touched on Aaron Rodgers a little bit already, but I want to circle back to how he played in this game and how, I guess, the perception of Rodgers has changed over the years in the NFL. As soon as the Packers got the ball back for that final fateful drive, my mind went to 2016. Why 2016? Well, towards the middle of that season, the Packers had a game where they were up in Atlanta. They went down and and scored to take the lead with just a few minutes left against the Atlanta Falcons. But Atlanta went down, mostly because the Packers' 2016 defense was absolutely hot garbage. Atlanta went down and went up by a point on a late touchdown with 36 seconds left. By the time the Packers received the opening or the ensuing kickoff, there were just 31 seconds to go. And the Packers were unable to go down and score points. And legendary Packers writer Bob McGinn took Aaron Rodgers to task for this, as did Milwaukee Journal Sentinel writer, then writer, Michael Cohen, who actually blocked me on Twitter over a response to this. But their assertion in their postgame coverage was that this is just a thing that happens every week in the NFL. Teams go down with 31 seconds left, needing at least a field goal. And they do it every single week. And Rodgers has come up short again because he can't do that. And it's just not a thing that happens. It's not all that common. It's pretty rare for somebody to go down with 37 seconds to go, 31 seconds to go if you're 2016, and go down and get points when you need it. But here's Aaron Rodgers with 37 seconds to go, a Patrick offensive line going against a good 49ers front. And the Packers get down the field to score and take the lead on two big chunk plays to Devontae Adams. Incredible stuff. And as good a game overall, I think, as I've seen Aaron Rodgers play. Knowing the stakes, knowing the defense he's playing against, knowing what he's got in front of him on the offensive line, good stuff. And as an added nugget, he said one of the key plays there in their final drive was something he and Matt LaFleur had made up in practice on Thursday. We've got the audio. I won't bore you with it. It's not that compelling. He just said they've made an adjustment on an existing play in practice on Thursday. And LaFleur suggested it for the opening play of that drive. Ends up working out. Not too shabby. As an added bonus, Aaron Rodgers said he called all the plays on the final drive. Got a suggestion from LaFleur on the first one, but he called the plays himself. Got to give credit, too, as a second good thing coming out of this game, to the Packers' offensive line. Shorthanded, to be sure. Not your preferred lineup out there with uh, Yash Nyman starting at left tackle. But... They got it done. And outside of the first couple drives or so, Nyman was the number one thing you want to be as an offensive lineman. Inconspicuous. He managed to stay out of the crosshairs, for the most part, of the San Francisco 49ers. And as a result, the Packers had pretty darn good pass protection across the board. They did some creative things with getting the Packers linemen help when they could. But really, a good performance from the Packers offensive line. You even had Chris Collinsworth at one point talking about how the Packers were bullying the 49ers' defensive line. I don't know if I'd go that far, but they were pushing them around at times. Good good thing. Good result in what could have been a really bad situation. Finally, a shout-out to a couple defensive playmakers. Kenny Clark had a great game, though it didn't really show up in the box score, but uh, attacking the middle of the 49ers' offensive line is only he can. He really blew up a lot of things that the 49ers were trying to get done. 
In terms of guys who did actually show up in the box score, I've got to start with Devondre Campbell. Look, he's not a perfect player, but he's as good as the Packers have had at inside linebacker in some time. And I think as much as showing what he can do, he showed what the Packers lost when they let Blake Martinez leave in free agency. Still, I think the right call, given what he's making in New York, but I think a year away from Martinez and a year of Christian Kirksey back there in the, I almost said defensive secondary, that's not what it was, in the in the linebacker core, and a year of working with uh, essentially undrafted guys and Christian Kirksey and, and Kamal Martin, a late-round pick, really shows how much you miss a guy who's just competent. Not spectacular, but competent. And Campbell ends up with 11 total tackles, a fumble recovered. It's a lot like Blake Martinez. It's a lot like Jamal Williams, in a way. It's a guy that doesn't necessarily bring a ton to the table, but he's not taking anything off of it either. And those kind of players are incredibly valuable. Nobody's got studs at all 22 starting positions. That just doesn't exist in the NFL. So what's the next best thing to a guy who's making your team actively better? Well, it's a guy who's not making you worse. A lot of teams are rolling out guys that are actively making their team worse just by being on the field. Campbell, if nothing else, is not hurting the Packers by being out there. And he showed the value tonight of just being a guy who can get out there and show up and be assignment sure. That's what Blake Martinez always was for the Packers, and that's what Campbell is proving to be at least early here in the 2021 season. Jair Alexander, just doing Jair things. Uh, That interception was spectacular. A couple of hiccups for him, an imperfect night to be sure, but still a positive difference maker for the Packers defense. In fact, I think it shows how far he's come here in his still very young career that some of the things that he did seemed like, not mistakes, but were surprising. Surprising to see him get out-muscled for a ball late by Debo Samuel. Surprising to see him get slightly turned around in coverage on a well-designed play. Man, still a playmaker, still showing up with 100% intensity at the very least on every play. Finally, Darnell Savage, I think one of his best games as a pro. He filled hard against the run. He was a big hitter in the passing game. He should have caused a fourth down on on one play there in the first half. I think it may have been on the the 49ers drive or one of the 49ers drives that that led to points. I'm not sure. Uh, But there was a big hit that the the receiver, it looked like, was clearly short of the first down line, and the officials ended up giving them the spot anyway. But, uh, man, Savage was active, athletic, and forceful when he was around the football. That's really all you want from a safety. We can't get out of here, though, without talking about some bad things. And this isn't by any means an exhaustive list, but I want to talk about a couple things that were not necessarily great. First, we got to talk about the Adams hit. This is not bad necessarily for the Packers, but bad for the NFL. How is that not a flag? How can it not be a flag? If this is such an important thing that you're doing multi-hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars in settlements, to former players over head injuries, if you're making it a point of emphasis week in and week out, how can that not be a flag? It's got to be fixed. You've got a ref, you've got a staff designed to review plays. You want hits to the head to be out of the game. Find a way to fix it when it happens on the field, when you've got dozens of cameras giving you ultra-high-definition slow-mo replays of Devontae Adams' eyes rolling back in his head, laying there apparently barely conscious on the field. He said after the game it was uh, the wind getting knocked out of him. I believe him exactly 0%. That was a big hit to the head. 
and it needs to be a flag. If you're going to make hits to the head a point of emphasis, they all have to be called, and it's got to be called consistently. They were trying to say on the broadcast that the ref was screened from the play, that he couldn't see what was going on. That is absolute garbage. Just trash. That is a trash take. If we're going to bother to do multiple angle, extreme slow motion reviews of minor plays just at the behest of a coach, you should be able to fix something that the NFL says is a point of emphasis. And the Packers really seem to go in the tank here for a while after that Adams hit. So that play happened on the first play of a drive. Aaron Rodgers in the very next play takes another deep shot and then another one on third down to Devontae Adams, who inexplicably was back in the game after that. Just nearly derailed the game for the Packers. And I think a big part of it was that Matt LaFleur just seemed so irate that that wasn't called that he was unable to focus on calling good plays. Nearly cost the Packers the game. That was a a pivotal point there. And it nearly cost Devontae Adams much bigger. He doesn't see much the worse for wear after the game itself. But man, if that's the kind of kind of hit that's going to be legal in any way in the NFL, what are we even doing here? And to make matters worse, Jair Alexander comes in on the next drive and barely brushes Jimmy Garoppolo. Boom, roughing the passer, 15-yard penalty. 49ers go down and score. What's the point of anything? If you're not going to call that Devontae Adams flag, Don't call any flags at all. Don't throw them at all. Just don't throw anything that has to do with hitting anybody because if that's not going to be a penalty, nothing should be a penalty. Also wanted to talk about the Packers' decision in the first half to go for it on fourth and one deep in the San Francisco 49ers' territory. They did ultimately get the ball back. Ultimately, no harm done because the Packers won. But I'm going to have questions about this for a while, and I'm not sure what the ultimate right decision here is. But it still is weird. It's a weird situation, and I'm not. I'm still not sure what to what to what to make of it. I'm struggling to call this a bad thing. Analytics very very softly supports it, according to Ben Baldwin's uh, win probability modeling on fourth downs. The the decision to go for it added about one percent in win probability to the Packers' chances. But they called a bit of an odd play. It got blown up by an unusually timed snap, it looked like, from Josh Myers. But more to the point, if you're trying to maximize your lead in a game against a team that scores a lot, why not get up as much as possible? If not for the Packers misfiring there and coming up short, unable to get points, they may not have had to go down the field in 37 seconds to get a 51-yard field goal to get the win. Just just an odd thing, and, and something, I guess, that you maybe file away for further, I don't know, further dissection down the road at some point. Because I'm not entirely sure what to make of it even now. Still comes across a little bit odd. One thing that we can't agree, I think, is is bad, though, is another special teams miscue allowing a big play. And I think if if you wanted to argue that the 49ers' fortunes really turned when they had a 48-yard kickoff return or more, I, that seems a little bit short, uh, late in the first half, I wouldn't really argue with you. If you thought that's what turned things around for the 49ers, 
I'd buy that. They had not really sustained a drive all day. The Packers had just scored. Boom, suddenly they just need a few yards to go down before the half and get a touchdown. And they do so. And then they get another one right after the half. And suddenly it goes from 17 to nothing to 17-14, just like that. Quick turnaround. And it all hinges on a big kickoff return. Now, I won't pretend to know exactly why things turned out the way they did on that return. I don't think anybody really can at this point right now. But sure didn't help the Packers win. We can say that much. I guess all we can be thankful for is that it's Mason Crosby back there trying to make the, make the tackle and not J.K. Scott, who looked like a baby giraffe on roller skates a couple times in 2020. What does this mean then? Packers got the win. They are on the plus side of the win-loss column for the first time in 2021. Above 500. Not too bad. They are also the undisputed leaders of the NFC North. Everybody else can compete for second. I know the Vikings won today as well, but I'm putting the Packers on the top. Everybody else can also take a height on the Rodgers doesn't care thing. If you think he doesn't care, just find the video of him cheering on the sideline. If he is less than 100% dialed in, it sure didn't show in this game. Packers got the win against a quality opponent on the road. And if they did that with Rodgers mailing it in, well, he can go ahead and mail it in from wherever he would like. What happens next? Packers are going to play host to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Green Bay next weekend. Afternoon kickoff, 325 Central, 425 Eastern time. Steelers lost 24-10 to today to the Cincinnati Bengals, who are still a big-time work in progress. But they worked out a 24-10 win over the Steelers and ancient Ben Roethlisberger today. Roethlisberger looks like he should retire immediately. Won't argue there, but uh, he's going to be headed to Green Bay next weekend. Let's clear out the notebook. A couple random observations here, then we'll let you go on with your Monday. Marquez Valdez-Scantling collected his first explosive play of the season today. 47-yard catch. Pretty darn good game from MVS overall. I think if the Packers can get him more involved, it really unlocks a whole new dimension of the offense, one they could sorely use. Still lacking a little bit in the deep threat department. MBS is that and can be that and can do that regularly. So the better they can be there, the better for the offense as a whole. Uh, He also scored a touchdown today, 12-yard score in the fourth quarter. 11th career touchdown for MBS, but just the fourth for him of less than 40 yards in his career so far. Just wild. Yes, he is absolutely a deep threat, but that ratio is incredible. 7 of 40 plus, 4 of less than 40. Insane. Also, his third touchdown against the 49ers, most against any team. I complained a couple weeks back about the lack of jet motion or a lack of motion pre-snap in the Packers offense overall. It seemed to be in full force tonight. A bunch of guys were doing pre-snap motion, full sprints from left to right, right to left. Amari Rogers, Randall Cobb, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, and Aaron Jones were among the group of players I saw going horizontally across the formation. That is good to see, and I think it played a part in juicing the Packers' run game a little bit. Aaron Jones, in particular, got in motion when he and uh, A.J. Dillon were on the field together. Always a good thing to see, and always good to see pre-snap motion, because I think it's a big help to the offense as a whole. Uh, Can't go too far without mentioning the 49ers throwbacks. Really enjoyed seeing them tonight, the red over the white. Love the drop shadow on the numbers. Uh, just a nice classic-looking uniform. And weirdly, it's a meta throwback. It is a throwback initially to 1994, 
when the Pack or when the 49ers, excuse me, wore throwbacks to a still earlier season in honor of the NFL's 75th anniversary. Pretty cool. Uh, and I've now been along, around long enough that uniforms I saw as a throwback as a kid are now old enough to be used as a throwback again now that I'm adult and adult. And that is, uh, boy, that's just kind of unsettling. <laughs> and I just got to, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. But uh, I guess that's how it works for all of us. Uh, Yash Naiman should uh, mention this as part of a maybe counterpoint to the overall solid play for the Packers offensive line. Uh, he was great after those first couple drives, but it was so close, so close to going the other way. Uh, face mask penalty by Nyman wiped out an early promising drive, uh, the first drive of the game, in fact. Uh, he was also ineligible downfield on another play early in the game for the Packers. Still, though, can't really complain about uh, what he put together tonight. Did get some help, but uh, really, really solid game for him overall. Also solid game from Corey Bajorquez, 54.7 yards on three kicks. Uh, on average, long in the 60s. Flipping the field for the Packers. Uh, Love to see him do it, and uh, he did a solid, solid job tonight. As good as Devondre Campbell was at linebacker, I, I just get the feeling... The Packers need more bodies at inside linebacker than they currently have. Ty Summers seems to be a liability. Oren Burks doesn't have anything he really can do consistently to contribute to the defense. And Chris Barnes is hurt for now. A concussion uh, Sunday night. It's just uh, it's a position in need of an infusion of talent. And uh, as good as Campbell was tonight, he can't do it alone. And there is a noticeable gap in the Packers' defense there. I don't know if he can fix it in season, but I'd be down for trying just about anything to see what they could do to get a little bit more production there, a little bit more athleticism there, a little bit more um, just playmaking ability. Campbell has shown what even a little bit can do. Why not try to get a little bit more? You know what a get-back coach is? Uh, This is probably a term you, you may have seen if you hang around certain corners of the Packers internet or football internet in general. It's the guy who watches the sideline, makes sure his guys aren't uh you know, violating sideline protocol, getting a penalty they don't have. He's watching the sideline, making sure guys are staying back, getting back from where they're supposed to be or to where they're supposed to be on the sideline. Ruval Martin appears to be filling that role for the Packers this year. Former Packers player, now on the coaching staff, telling guys, hey, get back behind the line. He was doing that on the Packers' last offensive drive of the game. Finally, I thought it was noteworthy, if only because it's interesting to see these two guys together here considering what they'll mean for the Packers' season this year. But after Mason Crosby's field goal cleared the crossbar, Packers are victorious, the first guy that Aaron Rodgers goes to hug is Joe Barry, the guy responsible for coordinating the Packers' defense in what could be the last dance for Aaron Rodgers. And we've been plenty critical of Joe Barry already this season. We were plenty critical of the hire when it happened, and I think we've more or less maintained that. He's got a lot working against him. He was the Packers' second choice. He's been a failed defensive coordinator twice in the NFL already, and it hasn't been a pretty start here in Green Bay so far. But he's going to be it. I don't think there's really any real hope for a change at defensive coordinator in season. And other than Jerry Gray, who's already in the house for the Packers, who's it going to be anyway? Who's really going to make a big improvement in how this defense is run? 
I don't think there's really anybody out there. It's going to be Joe Barry. And at least tonight, Aaron Rodgers was there looking for Barry on the sideline, giving him a big hug as the Packers came out victorious over the San Francisco 49ers. So I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. appreciate you downloading it. I appreciate you just being there for us for this entire season. And I uh, appreciate your patience as we took a little bit of time away to, uh, well, to add one more member of our broadcast crew. Baby's doing fine. Mom's doing great. Uh, life is great with two kids. Don't have a lot of complaints. It's been a big part of the game tonight with a, a newborn uh, on my chest as I'm taking, uh, taking notes on the game. Life's pretty good, man. And it's even better when the Packers win. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it so much. If you would tell other people about it, uh, share it with them, get more people to download it. That's how we're going to grow this show. Get more people involved in this conversation we're having around the Green Bay Packers and ultimately help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.